On August 12th, in the year 2000, the largest submarine in the Russian fleet, named the Kursk, suffered an internal explosion and went down in 350 feet of water in the Barents Sea. There were 118 men aboard at the time of the explosion. Deep sea divers arrived on the scene and they went down to assess the situation to determine if anyone had survived the blast. And as they were circling the ship down deep in the water, they heard a pinging sound. They began to listen more closely and it turned out that what they were hearing was a type of Morse code. It was coming from some of the men in the sub and the divers deciphered the code which turned out to be a simple question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? It's a question that a lot of people are asking today. It's a good question to ask as we get ready to kind of uh, close the curtain on one year and pull back the curtain on the next year. Is there any hope? Day after day, month after month, and year after year, there are people who seem to be trapped in a hopeless situation. They seem completely trapped and they look out into the future and they don't see any change on the horizon. They don't, uh, they're convinced that for them life will never get better, that it will always be difficult, that it will always be painful. The problems they face will never be solved and the longer that they believe that, the more and more that despair seems to begin to rule their life. And they just move from one day to the next with this sense of overwhelming hopelessness. They just try to survive the bad because they just don't think that it's ever going to get any better. Some of them lost hope years ago. Years ago. And those people are the reason that we're doing this series of messages. We're spending several messages talking about the fact that hope was born at Christmas time. We are actually taking some words from different Christmas songs as our jumping off place. Last week, Pastor Bill did a great job of talking about hope for the weary. He talked about that line from the song, Oh Holy Night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And he talked to us about how Jesus always shows up when we're tired of life, when we're weary or burnt out. And today, I want to take a line from the song that the kids sang that we'll sing a little later. The kids sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now, I'm a church kid. I was born on a Sunday, and my parents took me to church the next Sunday, And in my almost 61 years of life, I probably seriously have not missed more than 30 weeks. It's probably less than that, 30 weeks in church. So I've been in church a lot, and I know many songs by heart. And I have probably sung, O Little Town of Bethlehem, most of my 60 Christmases on earth. I I know it by heart. 
You probably do too. Some of you know it by heart. And you probably sing the words by heart when we sing the song. And here's the problem with singing by heart. Often when we know the song that well, when we sing it from memory, when we sing it by heart, the song actually seems to bypass our heart. It seems to bypass our heart. And when you think of it, it's a really strange thing. The songs that I know by heart are the least likely to touch my heart. They're the least likely to touch my heart. So let's not let that happen today. Let's not let that happen. Let's look at this song and let's take it a little slower. Let's let the words really touch our hearts. And it's the words from that first verse that I really want us to focus on today. Here's what it says. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. These lyrics were written by Pastor Philip Brooks, a pastor at a church in Philadelphia. He was inspired by a visit he made to Bethlehem in 1865. And it seemed that he had arrived in Jerusalem on Christmas Eve. And then he traveled the six miles south to Bethlehem. And when he got there, he was struck by the stillness and the darkness of that town. Hence the lyrics about the town lying still and the words, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting life. Now, I have to tell you that it's hard for me to picture that. I have been to Bethlehem many times and I have never seen it lie still. Some of us were there just about six weeks ago, and Bethlehem for us was a busy place. It was a place where we stood in line for about 90 minutes to pass through the cave where Jesus was born. And while we waited in that line, we witnessed people arguing, and uh, we witnessed them trying to push into the line ahead of us. And uh, outside the church, we experienced many vendors who were trying to sell us things, trying to make a living and years ago, I was there once at night, and the dark streets were shining with the headlights from cars, and the night was full of horns honking and uh, people having a good time. Now, apparently in 1865, Philip Brooks was there on a night when the city was still, but for me, it has always been a busy place. And frankly, it's been a place of some conflict and some controversy every time that I've been there. So I, I think... The last part of that verse actually sums up my experience better. After talking about the city lying still and the light shining in the dark streets, he writes about how the hopes and the fears of all the years were met in Bethlehem that night. And that's the line that I've been thinking about over and over again uh, over the course of the last few weeks as I thought about and prepared for this message, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Now, we really don't know what pa Pastor Brooks was thinking when he penned those words in 1868. 
but hope and fear are universal emotions. They're universal emotions. They are powerful emotions. They are controlling emotions. But many times, hope and fear seem to be at odds with each other. Hope and fear seem to be at odds with each other. What hope longs to embrace, fear pushes just out of reach. And our hopes and fears collide much like eternity collided with time many years ago in that little village of Bethlehem. Now, how did Jesus' birth answer the hopes and fears of Mary and Joseph that night? Well, if you are a parent, you, you probably understand and remember some of it because I, I think it happens to all new parents. I mean, we hold our first child for the first time in our arms and we look down at this baby and we are full of hope. We have this determination, this hope that this child will always feel loved, that this child will always feel safe, that they will be cared for, that they will be given every opportunity to really grow, to really excel in life, that we will do better for our kids than what, even what our parents did for us. We are full of hope. But probably even in that moment, as we hold that child in that same moment, we then realize th this little life is my responsibility. I'm responsible to protect and to provide for them, to lead them and teach them and train them and encourage them. And then we start paying attention to some of the scary things in this crazy world around us and we see danger and risk and suddenly we're full of fear. And if we're honest, for many years when we think about our children, there's this strange combination of hope and fear. And I'm sure that that was true for Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem that night. But for them, it was more than that. It was more than that. You see, for Mary and Joseph, the birth of Jesus meant Mary coming out of hiding and facing the inevitable scorn and disdain of having a child out of wedlock. So that created fear. But they had also been told who Jesus was. They had been told that this baby was the Messiah, the one that God had promised to send to rescue his people from their sin. So this birth signaled hope. For them, hope and fear collided that night. So the song is very right. The hopes and fears of all the years were met in this little town called Bethlehem that night when hope was born. And as Pastor Bill said last week, and as we will declare in all of the messages in this series, the hope that was born that night in Bethlehem had a name. And his name was Jesus. Hope was born when Jesus was born. So let's spend the rest of our time that we have unpacking this more and see how Jesus meets our hopes and our fears. First, let's acknowledge the fact that Jesus was born to calm fears. 
Jesus was born to calm fears. It's one of the most famous scriptures used at Christmas time. In fact, this passage is the passage that Linus quotes to Charlie Brown when Charlie Brown asks the true meaning of Christmas. And so let's read it together. That night, some shepherds were in the field nearby watching their sheep. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they became very frightened. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. This is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a feeding box. Again, sometimes we seem to just skim over these words because we've read them so many times. But pay attention. Pay attention. These shepherds were out in the field just doing their job. They were just doing their job. They were uh, watching their sheep. They were guarding their sheep against threats like wild animals. And uh, the night was very dark. Now there may have been moon, uh, a moon. There may have been some stars. And maybe they could make out the flickering lights from the oil lamps and the houses in the nearby town of Bethlehem. But it was dark. And that's when the angel shows up. And this bright light shines around them. Now... If that happened to you, how would you react? You're out in the country somewhere and it's a pretty dark place and things are quiet and things are peaceful and suddenly there's this spotlight on you and an angel is standing there talking to you. You'd be frightened, right? So were they. They were frightened and the angel says, don't be afraid. But the shepherds weren't the only ones that were afraid that night. In fact, I think most of the people who were in Bethlehem that night were afraid. See, the reason that Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem and the reason that the town was so crowded with visitors that there were no rooms left for people to rent was because Caesar Augustus, a foreign ruler who was enslaving the people, had required them all to return to the town of their birth to register for a census. And the people knew what that meant. They all knew what that meant. They knew that their already super high taxes were about to go up again. That their taxes were going to increase and they had no way to refuse. And they were going to be impoverished. They were, some of them would lose their homes and their property just like their neighbors had in the previous tax increase. And there was some talk about an uprising. Some talk about rebellion against Rome. But the Romans had this way of always dealing cruelly and decisively with rebellion and not always only with those who participated in the rebellion but with others living close to them and so for many reasons many people were absolutely terrified they were filled with fear on the day of Jesus's birth but that brings us to a primary lesson here it is Jesus shows up when we're full of fear Jesus shows up when we're full of fear and do you know why that's important? 
Do you know why that's important? Because some of you are filled with fear. I mean, your financial situation just has you scared to death. You're scared to death because you're not sure you'll get through another month. Or you're watching one of your kids make decisions that you think are really, really destructive. And you're frightened by that. Or there's a medical situation that is really scary right now. Or maybe you're just watching things here in our country and it terrifies you. And if you're full of fear right now, please hear this truth. Jesus shows up when we're full of fear. He shows up when we're full of fear. And if we'll turn to him, if we'll pay attention to him, he will calm our fears. That's why one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture and one of the things that Jesus himself uh, repeats often are the words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus came to earth to calm my fears. He walks with me through scary times. He ultimately promises to save me and to rescue me from this scary world and to take me to heaven if I'll just trust in him. Secondly, Jesus meets our hopes and fears because Jesus was born to offer hope. He was born to offer hope. The message that the angels had that night for the shepherds wasn't just go see a baby in a feeding box. That wasn't their message. I mean, any message from an angel would be a significant thing. It would be a significant thing. If I'm sleeping tonight and suddenly I'm awakened and there's an angel there and the angel says, Steve, go get pizza. I won't know why, but it'll be significant and I'll go get pizza. Right? Any message from an angel would be a significant thing. But the significance of this message wasn't just that there was a baby somewhere in a stable in a feeding box. The significance was who the angel said the baby was. The angel said the Messiah had been born. Their Savior had been born. And you have to understand that they had been waiting for the Messiah to arrive for generations. Throughout Scripture, Messiah was always the one that God was sending to help his people to rescue them and to save them. And God meant that the Messiah would save them from their sin and from their selfishness and from the condemnation and punishment that their sin and, and uh, uh selfishness had produced in their life but as times got darker as the world got scarier the people began to see Messiah as a military leader one who would rescue them from the heavy hand of the Romans now we don't know if the shepherds that night had the right view and were waiting for a Messiah who would forgive them and save them or if they thought he was coming to save them from Roman occupation, but we do know that what the angel told them gave them hope. It offered them hope. And the reason that they had hope was because the angel told them that God was going to keep his promises. What the angel said that night helped them to believe again that God would keep his promises to them. And if you feel like you're in a hopeless situation and God seems far from you right now, I want you to know God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. And what God promised his Messiah would do is wonderful. 
And it's so much better than any military general could have done for them or for us. And we can't look at all of the promises of what the Messiah would do, but let's look at one of my favorites. It's a prophecy from Isaiah. It's quoted in Matthew chapter 12, and Matthew says it is fulfilled in Jesus. Here's what it says. He won't break off a bent reed or put out a dying flame, but he will make sure that justice is done. All nations will place their hope in him. The passage tells us that Jesus gives hope to people and to several different kinds of people. I see at least three in the passage. Let's look at it. First of all, Jesus gives hope to damaged people. To damaged people. It talks about the bent reed. He's talking about a piece of a plant that has been bruised or that has been bent over at the stem. And it hasn't fallen off. It's still there, but it's damaged. And many times with plants, when we see that we just cut that off. We just break it off and throw it aside. But the passage says Jesus won't do that. He won't cast aside or dispose of damaged people. And do you know why that's important? You know why I'm thankful for that? I'm a damaged person. I'm damaged. Some of the damage in my life is self-inflicted by my own choices to sin my own choices to do it my way instead of God's way. And some of the damage in my life is inflicted by the hurt that others have inflicted on my life. But either way, I'm damaged. So Jesus gives hope to damaged people like me. Secondly, Jesus gives hope to tired people. The passage says he won't snuff out a dying flame. Bill talked some about this last week, but Jesus ministers to us when we're tired and when we're weary, when the flame of our passion for him is just flickering or maybe even just smoldering. And when you have gotten weary of life or even weary of your relationship with Jesus, he gives hope. He doesn't put out a dying flame. He doesn't put out a dying flame. Lastly, Jesus gives hope to oppressed people to oppressed people. The passage says, he will make sure that justice is done. When you have been unfairly treated, when you've been cheated on, when you've been betrayed, when you have been passed over for that job or minimized because of your race or your gender or your age, turn to Jesus. He will make sure that justice is done. It may not happen quickly, and it may not even happen in a way that vindicates you with everyone that oppressed you or created the injustice, but he will ensure justice, and he will give oppressed people hope. So if you feel hopeless today, I'm guessing that you might feel like you fit in one or more of those three categories that we've talked about, and I want you to hear today, Jesus came to offer you hope. He came to offer you hope. He wants you to see hope is possible because Jesus always keeps his promises. He pro his promises aren't a I wish kind of hope. It is a I guarantee it kind of assurance for everyone. Not just everyone in this room, but for all nations if we put our hope in him. If we put our hope in him. Before we're done, I, I want to personalize this just a little bit more. I want you to know, I want to emphasize, our hopes and fears 
can still be met in Jesus. Our hopes and our fears can still be met in Jesus. This wasn't just a promise for shepherds that night outside of Bethlehem or for people struggling through life in that little village that night. Hope was born for you that night. Hope was born for you that night. You see, the Bible acknowledges that fear will still be a very real part of our existence. And it, te- and it teaches us Jesus still shows up when we are full of fear. Jesus still shows up when you are full of fear. Luke starts his letter by writing about the events of the birth of Jesus. Early on uh, in chapter 2, he acknowledges the fact that the shepherds are afraid and the angel tells them not to be afraid. But towards the end of the book, in chapter 21, now it's the chapter before we see the events of Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection start to be recorded. But the chapter before that records Jesus doing some teaching. And Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 21 about what is going to happen later. And it seems he's talking about some very hard times. He's probably talking, it seems, about the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen about 40 years after the death of Jesus and he also seems to reference in that passage what will happen in the last times and the times before Jesus's second coming and after talking about how hard it will be how difficult it will be how painful it will be Jesus says this in Luke 21 verse 26 people will be so afraid they will faint wondering what is happening to the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Have you had those times when the events of our world, maybe war and terrorism and other events, have made you so afraid that you thought you were going to faint, wondering what was happening in our world? I mean, surely some of what goes on around us makes us wonder if even God's power, the power of heaven, is being shaken at time, but Jesus said it'll get bad. He said it'll get bad, as bad as it has been sometimes, and as bad as it is now, and perhaps even worse. And he says we will be very frightened, so frightened that we might faint. But he also says when we see this, when we get that frightened, hope and fear may be about to collide again with, the, uh, with another appearance of Jesus. Jesus says people will be so afraid they will faint and they will wonder what is happening. The powers of heaven will be shaken. And then read on in Luke 21. Then people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. When these things begin to happen, look up. And hold your heads high because the time when God will free you is near. Isn't that a great passage when things get scary? Look up. Hold your head high because Jesus may be coming back to earth to free us. God will be keeping that promise too. He'll be keeping that promise too. What that means is in the midst of our fears today, Jesus brings hope. And he calms our fears. Our hopes and fears can be met in Jesus today. Right now. Forever. Some of you may really be struggling with fear and hopelessness today. Let me share with you some scriptures that 
might help you. One of my favorites comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, but I love it out of a version of the New Testament that few of you have probably ever read or know about. It's the Phillips paraphrase. Here's what it says. You can throw the whole weight of your anxiety upon him for you are his personal concern. The other translations say that we can cast our anxieties onto him because he cares for us, and I like that. But I like this. I can throw all my fears, all my anxieties on him because I am his personal concern. I'm his personal concern. I can trust him to take care of me. I can trust him to comfort me, to calm my fears. And that a verse about hope that I love is one that Pastor Bill referenced briefly last week. It's from Romans chapter 5. Here's what it says. And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. The hope he's referring to that will never disappoint us is the promise of our salvation. It's us having peace with God because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And if you've trusted Jesus to save you, if you've believed in him and announced him as your savior and you've turned away from your sin and you've been baptized by your own decision as a way of saying, God, I'm dying to who I used to be and I want to live for, with you forever. If you've trusted him to save you and responded in those ways, his hope will never disappoint you. His hope will never disappoint you because God has promised to save those who trust in Jesus and he always keeps his promises. It's guaranteed. His hope will not disappoint you. But some of you haven't done that yet. You haven't done that yet. Maybe for many reasons. Some of you are still counting on the fact that you had a really godly grandma. I mean, she was so godly. She went to church every week. And she prayed for you every night. And you are trusting your grandma's relationship with God to make you okay with him and some of you are still hoping that you can do more good things than bad things in your life and when the good things outweigh the bad things you think that you are hoping that you'll be okay with God and some of you have listened to people around you declare that absolutely every person who has ever died will be in heaven including their dogs and their cats and you're hoping that's true and can I just gently tell you if you are hoping in those things your hope will disappoint you. Your hope will disappoint you. You are basing your hope on something other than the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is clear that he is the only path that leads to God. He says that no one gets to a right place with God except by trusting him. By trusting him. So if you're trusting anything other than Jesus to save you, you will be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Today, you can make sure that your hopes and your fears collide and that you end up with a hope that will never disappoint you. It really is as simple as trusting Jesus to save you, uh, to trust the promise of God by doing it his way, by believing and by turning away from your sin. The Bible calls that repentance, by announcing to others that you believe in Jesus and trust him and by joining Jesus in baptism. And it seems really simple. And it is. 
It's so simple that some want to make it more complicated. And as a result of trying to make it more complicated, they are missing out on the promise. But when you trust Jesus to save you, the hopes and fears of all your years will be met in Jesus today. Today. And look at a few more scriptures. Look at this passage from 1 John chapter 4. This is how love is made perfect in us, that we can be without fear on the day God judges us. Do you want to be without fear on that day? Look at why. We can be without fear on the day God judges us because in this world we are like him. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. It is punishment that makes a person fear. So love is not made perfect in the person who fears. When we understand God's perfect love for us and we trust him to save us, that trusting him to save us eliminates for us the threat of punishment and that drives out fear. There is no fear because of his perfect love. And even if I do fall into sin... I can remember that Jesus has forgiven me, that he has taken my guilt upon himself. He has paid for my guilt by dying on the cross. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. So now, those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. It's not that we aren't guilty, we're just not judged guilty. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that brings life made you free from the law that brings sin and death. Wouldn't Christmas time be a great time for you to finally trust Jesus? For you to let his promises to you uh, happen as he loves you, as he forgives you and saves you. I mean, maybe you need that today. Maybe you need to cling to his promises today. Maybe you need to talk to myself after the service or to someone at our next steps canopy so that we can help you know exactly what it means to cross that line of faith by trusting Jesus so that you will have hope that never disappoints. Or maybe you need to be baptized. The baptistry is warm. It's ready. We have clothes. We have towels. You can do that today after this service. Maybe you have sincere questions. You don't understand some of this. Let us help you. We're not afraid of your questions here. Hope was born for you. Hope was born for you. Let Jesus meet all your hopes and fears today as you trust him and as you rely on his promises. Let's pray together, shall we?